Hey everyone, it's Dylan, your podcast host. Just wanted you guys to know that this episode was recorded in a hotel lobby in San Antonio, uh, so if you hear any echoey stuff, that's what it's from. Also, as fair warning, this episode contains spoilers for The Last Jedi, so if you haven't seen it and want to avoid the spoilers, just kind of skip to the end when we start talking about it. You'll know it when you hear it. And yes, I know it's odd that there are movie spoilers in a energy podcast, but I mean, come on, it's so cool. Especially that one part where Luke... Podcast brought to you by S and C. S and C. It's not Sand C. It's true. <laughs> it looks like that at the end of our email addresses. It's S A N D C. I'll see you. Because at ETS last year, I was in charge of uh, I was in charge of social media, but I didn't know who anyone was because I was really new. Um, so I was just like, all right, what's this company's Twitter handle? And I just remembered S and C's because it was just Sand C U S. <laughs> Like you're from June. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the the ampersand is uh, is not picked up well. Uh, you, yeah. On most things. It's true. You can't you can't put it in your Twitter handle. Right. Yeah. So we kind of it, it also doesn't work for uh, domain addresses either. So you could embrace it. You'd be stand C and then just like and then your tagline could be like the spice is life or well, fear is the mind killer. That's yeah. Something. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll think on that. Um, it's not a, it's not an outright no. <laughs> <laughs> it's never no. And still, it's not an outright no. This <laughs> has a careful consideration over many years. <laughs> and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid. This is a show about energy, I think. Today we have David Chiesa, who is the senior director for global business development at SNC. How are you today, David? I am doing fantastic, thanks. Uh, and I've got Christine with me. Hey, Dylan. How's it going? It's going good. And we've got Aaron back. I'm back, baby. <laughs> How was San Francisco? It was fun. I briefly got stranded in SFO because Austin had a bit of ice and severe weather moving. Um, so I had a few extra days in San Francisco, but no complaints there at San Francisco. Well, there you go. Yeah, I got trapped in San Diego over the weekend. I thought I wasn't gonna be able to make it back because there was weather in Denver and our flight ended up leaving on time and I was so excited we got on the plane and then they had to reset a screen in the cockpit and they're like, this will take just five minutes. Never and then an hour and a half later, yeah. they could not get the screen back into the into the cockpit. So they had to, they had to cancel the whole flight and then we ended up getting, they had a spare plane, which usually does not happen. Yeah. So we they just had an extra one laying around the closet for you, Christine. <laughs> but I, I lucked out. I was like, I'm going to turn into Aaron Hardick and be trapped in California. But I, I made it back. Well, I don't feel bad for either of you because you know, I've been trapped in Chicago with sub-zero temperatures. So, you know, getting trapped in California, lesser of the two evils there. For yes. Sure. yes. <laughs> I've been trapped in Chicago though too. Yeah, so. that, probably in the summertime, knowing your luck. No, it was in the middle of winter, All and right, I, okay. my bags made it to Scotland, but I didn't. 
So I oh, was trapped that's significant. Yeah. in Chicago for a very cold day. So coming to, we're coming to you live like a week or two from now <laughs> uh, in the in the bar at the Grand Hyatt Hyatt. I don't, I don't know. It's in it's in lovely San Antonio, which I've been Grand to for, Hyatt. Grand Hyatt. It's in lovely San Antonio, which I've been to for the first time. They uh, ripped off Seattle Space Needle. Thought thought they could get away with it, but so David, uh, now that we're beginning the now that we're beginning the convention circuit in earnest, going to you know San Francisco and now here in San Antonio. What are you? Uh, what newer energy trends are you hoping to see continue from last year? And what are you hoping to? What changes in direction are you hoping to see this year? Well, Dylan, for us, you know, at SNC Electric, it's always been about reliability and resilience. Those are the two things that we focus on. You know, we're we're a switching in protection type company. It's how we made our history. And you know, the cool part about it for us is we're seeing the focus on reliability and resiliency just intensify which is fantastic because you know, you listen to the different utility leaders on the circuit talk, a lot of them talking about um, the importance of resilience and reliability as it relates to their, their new business model. A lot of them are looking at the, the future business model being more of a, a network where they're facilitating transactions of electricity. And so then you sit there and you go, well, what happens if I'm the, res- the reason why the transaction doesn't go through? Where does the reliability, where does the responsibility lie from a financial standpoint, and, and how much angrier are my customers going to be now that I'm not just delivering power, but I'm facilitating a transaction or transfer of power from from one customer to another customer? Uh, and then I make two customers mad for every one one instance, and so we're seeing that really start to crystallize in the utility executive's mind, which you know, is not a bad thing for us because that's what we do. Um, you know, the, the majority of our product lines are really aimed towards making momentary outages uh, disappear, uh, making long-term outages a thing of the past, and, and coming up with ways to do that safely and reliably over time. So to me, it's that, that changing utility paradigm that I'm most interested in. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're talking about you're talking about resiliency. Um, me and Aaron and Aaron wrote an article uh, a little earlier a couple of weeks back doing a sort of 2017 recap yeah. and the thing that I noted is there were a lot of natural disasters in 2017 yeah. um, there's Hurricane Harvey in this region Hurricane Irma on the on the east coast Maria in Puerto Rico 45% of Puerto Ricans still don't have power uh, there were wildfires in my home state of Washington throughout the Pacific Northwest it's been this whole uh, been putting a lot of strain on the grid as a result and so I think how, how the responses to those disasters went is going to be is going to be driving the conversation on grid on grid resiliency. Um, so, do, do you agree that it's a, a now an even greater priority than it's been previously? Yeah, it, one of the things, and my utility friends are not going to appreciate this, but one of the things that's always amazed us is why utilities get the ability to exclude storms from their their measurements. We never really understood that because the storm still matters to your, your customer, right? I mean, yes, I understand you would expect that there'll be an outage and some years there's more storms than others, et cetera, but there ought to be a, a measurement on that. And, and frankly, there's a reason why I feel that way. And this, the, my utility friends will like, uh, their response to some of these storms has been overwhelmingly positive and, and just a step change from what happened previously. I'll give you a, 
Uh, for instance, so if you look at uh, Florida Power and Light and their response to Hurricane Herman, so you know that the entirety of their service area was territory was impacted. Irma went to the uh, inside Gulf Coast and then straight up Florida, hit 100% of their territory. 95% of the people in their territory had their power back on within 24 hours. Something like 75 or 80% had their power back on before Irma left their territory. It's uh, It was an amazing level of response. And yet, there are still isolated communities within Florida that had emergency city council meetings to figure out whether they should sue Florida Power and Light for their lack of response. In fact, Florida Power and Light had to justify how the expense that they'd done around grid hardening was useful in relation to the their response to the grid. And, and it was pretty easy to do, but you know, it's just interesting, uh, two things, two parts of it. One, the changing customer profile, where the customer expectation is no outages at any time. Um, and then the utility response to that, which is we're trying as hard as we can to get there, but it costs money. That intersection between the two is going to continue to be a tough conversation. And that really only addresses part of what you asked, Dylan. That's the, the hurricane response part. But then there's the wildfires part. Uh, we, we also do a lot of business in Australia where wildfires are called bushfires. And, and it's interesting to see how the, the different utilities or the different countries even treat these natural disasters. And it's actually more similar than you would think. And so we've come up with a bunch of solutions to try to help mitigate wildfires and you know, the start of wildfires and the cause of wildfires at the source. But you know, not all of them are, are caused by man-made uh, reactions. Some of them are, are just nature. There's nothing you can do about those. But uh, you know, we've, we've been working hard to put together a suite of products and information for both bushfires and wildfires that we think can make a, a big difference uh, to try to prevent some of those man-made ones going forward. Again, not that you can prove any of them are man-made or not, because I, I certainly don't want to be a, a witness called to California to testify. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, what we're just talking about is on the off chance that they were man-made, that we, we have ways to, to try to mitigate that and keep that from happening. And, and that's that's got to be part of the conversation. So you got customers are no longer tolerant of, of outages at all, which means that momentary outages, storm outages, any kind of outage has to be measured and recorded. And then you got to give credit to the utilities for making some changes. They've actually really improved their response time, specifically. Uh, Centerpoint did an amazing job. Uh, and then Florida Power and Light did an amazing job. And I'm sure there's others that I'm, I'm not singling out. Uh, so that part. And then there's the wildfire. One of my employees lost her house to a, to a wildfire. You know, it's not really hit home in our company. You know, exactly how, how tough it is. Uh, she got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. You have about 15 minutes. Grab whatever you can and, and get out. And luckily, that was from her neighbor because the emergency services didn't wake her up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, the, the texts that go out and everything else. But luckily, one neighbor called the other neighbor and she was able to save some things and, and get out. But her house burned down to the ground by the next morning. I mean, total loss. So it's uh, it's a project. It's a it's a problem that hits home to us, but we think we have some solutions for it. So I hope that answers your question. So how do utilities really find that balance? I mean, you talked about with the hurricanes, you know, really being able to increase the response times, you know, reduce the outage times. Um, but I mean, there's always that balance of you know how much do we really need to be investing? You know, what are right. things that are going to make a significant change? So. 
I mean, how do utilities go about about doing that and really figuring out where are the priority areas and, and what they need to focus on? So, um, I mean, first off, yeah. look, go talk to Florida Power and Light, yeah. right? Uh, Manny Miranda uh, has a, a fantastic uh, idea around around how to do that. Um, there's other executives there that are also really doing a great job. But I think the thing that you'll find from them and what we see from everyone is we didn't build the grid in a year and we're not going to harden the grid in, in that same period of time. So it's more of a replacement idea. So if, if you see a, a wood pole that's in, a, in an area that needs some uh, poles, you don't go and replace all the wood poles at one time. Uh, we don't sell poles, right? It's just part of their, what yeah. they do. Uh, so you don't go and replace them all at once, but as you replace them, you replace them with the upgraded, uh, the upgraded pole. You don't put a wood pole for a wood pole, or a cement pole for a wood pole. And so then you have an incremental cost, not a complete replacement cost. And it's the same thing on the switch side, which does impact us, right? You don't go and replace all the switches at once, but once you hit end of life, you don't replace a, an old switch with an old switch. You replace an old switch, switch with a smart switch. And you kind of do that upgrade over time because the way utilities handle their capital spend it's an incremental capital spend every year to both grow the, the grid and also improve what's there. And that's the right way to go about it. Unfortunately, there's not that immediate payback because you know, it takes time for this thing to develop. Uh, but you, know, you do see the payback over time. You know, we're not about a grid of two days or two years. We're about a grid of 200 years. And we're taking a grid that was developed 100 years ago and, and making it last for another 100. So you just have to be smart about I upgrade and have a plan in mind for what you want it to look like uh, from a, you know, a forward-looking sense. And it really plays in the utility model where they have a monopoly, they have a guaranteed franchise, and therefore they can plan out on that time horizon. And so as we see these changing business models, we have to make sure we maintain that ability to plan for a long time horizon, while also making them a little more nimble to react to some of the, the business changes we did that report um, with the weather company where we asked, I think it was around 100, 150 utilities about, you know, what is your strategy for um, weather-related outages? And we actually found that a lot of them struggled to quantify um, how they dedicate resources to outages. So I would assume, you know, that plays into the difficulty of really building out a strategy and following that strategy you know, in times of, of response. So I think sometimes we're getting caught in conceptualizing this is how we can be more proactive instead of reactive, but I think it's going to be the building out and execution of those strategies that we're going to see in the coming year, and how that's going to play out is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, they're getting really good at the, the reactive part. If you looked in advance of Hurricane Irma and Harvey and that, they had pre-stage mutual assistance crews all over. Uh, in the southeast, outside of where the path was projected to be, ready to come in and use them. And they actually ended up not needing all of those resources because of the amount of hardening that they've done. But boy, I'll say it, that mutual assistance policy between different utilities, that part, they, they do that extremely well, which of course means you don't have to have as large a force for any particular utility because all the other utilities come and help. That, that's actually been one of those changes through coordination events different industry events like the you know, circuits you're talking about, where they've, they've had a lot of discussions around that. Works really, really well. I remember, I think it was for Harvey, I was driving from Houston, uh, probably two weeks after, three weeks after Harvey hit, 
and coming from Austin were about 40 uh, Austin Energy line trucks going down to Houston, yep. you know, to help out. Well, it seems like it's, it, I mean, there's that, that, that short term, even though they have these the mutual assistance and these plans, I mean, there's that, that reaction that happens ahead of the storm. But then there's also what you're talking about, David, like this long term, you know, longer bit vision, hardening the grid, you know, those things really have to, to work together. Absolutely. So really have that, that yeah. response and what customers are looking for. What Dylan was talking about with Puerto Rico, that, that's one of the things that frustrates SNC to go in is, you know, we've just essentially devastated the grid in, in Puerto Rico. And yet, if you, you go and you, you look into the reports from the linemen that are actually in Puerto Rico, they're being instructed, put up a pole, put up a cross arm, move on. And you go, gosh, is that, is that really the right way to do it? You do, you're spending a whole lot of money to rebuild a grid that in its exact same configuration, maybe even not quite as nice a configuration, just got devastated by a storm. Shouldn't we, you know, Great, we got to get power back on to the people of Puerto Rico. But shouldn't we take the time to have a measured, calculated approach, a thoughtful approach for how we rebuild that grid? Because every dollar we spend on the old grid is preventing us from spending a dollar on the new grid, which might actually help prevent this happening from the next storm. But yeah. we, we don't ever seem to get to be able to get ahead of the cycle of grid. Uh, but you're seeing places like Florida, uh, Houston, other places, Louisiana even, that have been hit rebuilding in a more thoughtful way granted they don't have the you know their grid's more mature to begin with so they don't have the immediate need of powers out uh, to be able to do that but gosh you know we just look at that and go man the money that we're spending in puerto rico if we could only spend it in a, in a way that helps prevent the next outage you know, the next form from devastating power that would be fantastic talking about modernizing the grid you know, when you're rebuilding Right after uh, Hurricane Maria hit, we were talking with uh, Lorraine Akiba from Hawaii, and you know, she was talking about how in these kinds of storms that one of the one of the ways you can innovate it more resilient against them is through is through microgrids. Uh, and she said that one of the problems with Puerto Rico was the was the was the lack of. So I mean, you're you're a microgrids guy. So yep. what uh, is that a, is that a piece of the puzzle? What like what role do you think they have in terms of uh, Yes, I certainly believe that they, they play a role. There's no choice about it. Uh, but I, I was asked this question immediately after Irma as well, because there was a hue and cry, oh, microgrids would have solved that problem. Look, Category 5 hurricane rolls over your territory. If it has a direct hit right over your your uh, microgrid, it's going to destroy some of the infrastructure in your microgrid too. Right? So from that perspective, they're not the only answer. And even then, you'd have to build kind of a hardened microgrid down in that area. So I started laying out an idea to this person that asked me about a hardened microgrid. And, and you know, the, the microgrid that we built in Amherst, you know, we didn't really intend for it to be that, but it ended up this way. Uh, if you look at the topology of the way that works, the microgrid is actually on the highest point for uh, a significant area around that. And so you go, okay, so if that's, let's call that 10 feet above sea level, you look at where we put the solar. The solar is in a significant depression along with the, the wind, and you go, all right, so does that need to have a higher elevation? No. So you put that in a lower elevation and still bring it back in. Then we put all of the components of the microgrid on helical piers, essentially stilts, right? Uh, islands. And so the microgrid itself is about three or four feet higher than that. So you really get 13, 14 feet above sea level just from where you placed it. So if you just consider the topology or geography of where you're at, you can actually make your microgrid more survivable from flooding. Okay? 
still wind is still going to be an issue. Um, there were a number of, uh, of solar farms that survived the uh, the hurricanes relatively intact. You can't say fully intact, but relatively intact because they're tested up to 150 miles per hour if, if that's the type of racking system you bought. So if you were to look at that, if you if you had you know insulated yourself from from water by putting it up on on stilts um, and also used the topology to your advantage, you theoretically could have had a, a significant amount of survivability for your your microgrid. And that would have allowed you to get your power back on quicker and to be able to provide services for both whatever facility it is that you're talking about and if you have enough generation, maybe even some people outside of that facility as well. So again, it's it's one of those things where you have to have careful consideration in, in the planning aspects. So when you do your study and you, and you try to figure out what am I trying to solve, what customer problem am I trying to solve, when you're in Florida or Texas, you, you kind of have to consider, or even along uh, you know, the Mississippi River, all the way from Iowa down to Louisiana, you have to consider the floodplain, you have to consider for survivability from natural disasters. So one of the reasons why we went with natural gas at, at Ameren is that in most natural disasters, natural gas continues to flow. Uh, you know, surely there could be things that are significant enough to limit that, but so far that's tended to be a, a better overall generation strategy. So you can do it. You can, you can figure it out, uh, but it it's all goes back to the, the planning aspects of it. You have to consider your environment, and, and you have to consider what, what problem it is you're trying to solve. So if I go to a, uh, to a customer in Florida, a hospital customer that wants a microgrid, you kind of have to consider. They're thinking about natural disasters and hurricanes and things like that, so you want to put that into your planning process. Does that make sense? Last July, I was in Chicago. I went out there for, um, it was a workshop for the American Marketing Association. And then I also went and visited David at SNC, and he actually gave me a tour of their microgrid um, demonstration. demonstration. And you guys were just about to announce the Ameren microgrid project. And right. I believe, so it islands for, for 24 hours, is that, is that correct? Yeah, right before you came, we were actually planning this 24-hour islanding, and we wanted to do it without any any dinosaur power, right? So what we did is uh, we had our energy storage system there. Sorry, Ameren's energy storage system. Seahawks, <laughs> they own it. Uh, Ameren's energy storage system up. Uh, it was about 85, 90% charged, and then we had solar and wind, and we show over a 24-hour period how you were able to do that. And in fact, the state of charge of the battery never went below 70, 75%. And so if you looked at it, we could have run for much more days uh, other than just the 24, but that was one of the use cases that Ameren gave us when we designed the microgrid was you have to run without fossil power for a period of time. And so uh, you know, we did that. We also did it during the eclipse too. So the, uh, the complete eclipse that came up, we said, well, you know, we, one of the things you want to do with a microgrid is run in advance of natural disasters. So we don't know necessarily what's going to happen. We think it's relatively innocuous event, but it's going to try. So we, we did it during the eclipse as well. And we've islanded seamlessly, islanded back and forth a, a bunch of times. And more often than not, that facility is running without any type of fossil power because the solar and the wind are always generating. I was just down there last week and on a relatively calm day, the wind was still generating about 26 uh, kilowatts and we were still getting about 120 kilowatts of power out of the solar, which meant that we were actually able to export a little bit uh, back out into Ameren's other feeder that's served by, by their microgrid. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's been really really successful, um, and we actually have uh, a case study on our website that shows you the graph of what the state, yeah, you know, what the the contribution of each generation source and the state of charge of the battery is. So yeah, that was that, that was a that was a fun event. That that was fun. Uh, David was getting kind of frustrated with me because he was trying to teach me all these technical terms, <laughs> and he would ask me, he'd be like, "All right, Aaron, this is this is X, Y, and Z," and then about thirty seconds later, he's like, "What is this?" And I'm just standing there. Uh, I don't, I don't but, I, but I gave you lots of hints. Yeah, he, he did. Um, and then he, at one point, I was switching some type of control, and it made a loud boom, and he scared me on purpose. Um, but you said something interesting that I did want to ask you about. Um, you said that you guys have seamlessly switched from yeah. islanding. What is what does that mean, and why is that important? That's sure. Uh, you know, I, I owe this to Roger Coaster from Amarin. So, Roger, if you're out there listening, this was all you. Uh, but we originally talked about this microgrid with Ameren. Uh, we explained what the sequence of operations was going to be. We got through the sequence of operations, and Roger goes, stop. Stop right there. That's not going to work for me. Well, Roger's one of the executive sponsors of the microgrid, so him saying that's not going to work for me is you know, it's a relatively important event for, <laughs> for SNC in that case. And we're like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you can't make two outages out of one outage. He says, look, we get measured on safety and safety. Because so I get how you're helping me with safety. You're going to have one outage, and instead of being down for 24 hours, you're going to be down for two minutes. The microgrid comes back up. Everybody's got power. And so my safety goes way down. He said, but I already took one outage. Unexpected loss of voltage went down. Microgrid black starts, reforms. He says, I can't take another outage where you essentially shut the microgrid down and then bring utility power back through that. He goes, that hurts my safety, my frequency index. I get two for every one. He said, because otherwise it would be down for 24 hours. It comes back on. My safety still only saw one outage because I want both. I was like, well, <laughs> that's not exactly what we contracted for. <laughs> he says, doesn't matter. I want both. And so we, we figured out how to give them both, but it was a significant engineering challenge to do that. And so now, uh, you know, this is our standard for how we do it now. Uh, but it all stems from Roger insisting that this had to be that way. So when the first loss of power on a, on a microgrid, unless you're already running in advance, if you had a, have an unexpected loss of voltage from the utility system, utility grid, everything goes dark, just like it does today. The difference is you then open that point of common coupling with the utility, and you black start your microgrid, and everybody's up and running. That's always the way it is. That's kind of the way it is for any microgrid. The part that's different about this one is once utility power comes back, they actually parallel uh, with the utility, and then we seamlessly bring the utility back in without a second outage. Almost every other, well, I can say with certainty here, every other medium voltage utility scale microgrid takes an outage and then lets utility power come back and repower the system. And that's not how we do it anymore. And it's a pretty important component for helping the customers because the customer doesn't want a second outage. They got to reset their clocks again. And, you know, for some people, you know, for direct TV reset, <laughs> the internet connection, all that stuff. So wrong. Yeah, so, uh, but that, that avoids all of this, so there's no interruption on the second time. That's what that's what seamless return to the grid means. It is. I, I remember when you brought it up, I didn't I didn't take into account, you know, how annoying it would be as a customer to have back-to-back outages. Right. And if we go all the way back to the very first part of the podcast, where we talked about customer expectations changing, they don't want even those small momentary outages. You know the worst part about it? Got to reset the microwave. Got to set the clock on the oven, the microwave. Yeah. But the utility doesn't count that outage. 
in, in most states, if it doesn't last five minutes, there was no outage. It's kind of like Star Wars, right? These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> those, those are not the outage minutes you're looking for. Um, in, in some states, it's one minute, but in most states, it's five. And so you go, the customer feels the pain of the microwave and everything else. It has absolutely no impact to, to the utility unless they're measuring things like momentary outages. And that's one of the things that we feel that the utilities are going to have to measure because the customers are going to force you to measure So I wanted to get a Star Wars reference in there for you, Dylan. One of the things that I'm noticing is that despite, despite these conventions putting out all this technology and promising to address all of these issues that are affecting the modern, the modern utility today, the one issue that no one's weighed in on so far is uh, whether or not The Last Jedi is actually reverent of the original trilogies or if it's, uh, or if it's a two-and-a-half-hour critique of them. Because the thing is, is that whenever people have this conversation, it always focuses on like tangential details like Laura Dern's hair color, which isn't really important. But because but, it just basically seems to come down to a, it's coming down to an interpretation of the meta text. Because the people who think it's like an anti-nostalgia takedown are kind of focusing on that line that Kylo Ren has where he says, you know, let go of the past, kill it if you have to. And then, so the question is whether or not the movie's saying he has a point when he says that. And I would argue that he doesn't because the, the point of view character is Ray and the two guys in the movie, just crack knuckle, the two guys in the movie that are most, that are trying to, con trying to convince her to let go of her fangirl nostalgia, which is Luke and Kylo Ren, she both was able to talk them down. And the one that doesn't end up coming back is the one that turns into an unredeemable bad guy. And I'm, I'm curious what the two Star Wars fans here have to say about that. Well, first off, let me just say, from the Spoilers. <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert, because... Yeah, I mean, wasn't that just some spoiler... Not really. That was literally... That was that was just the understood that was common the, knowledge. That was the setup of the movie. Yeah, that was the. All of that just, information was. In I'm the just trailers. looking out for people <laughs> who might want to watch this movie. So let me let me let me first just say spoilers will come in a minute. But the acting on on this movie versus the previous movies in general so much better. But if you go back and you watch the early Star Wars. Forget the story part. The acting was terrible. I mean, the dialogue was abominable. It was, it was, ah, uh, it was unbelievable almost. From so the bar was set really, really oh low. Oh my god! Yes. And then they just barely. Then you had the second trilogy with Are Hayden, you? Hayden Christensen, which was even worse. That was that guy might he might have won the Razzie for every single scene he was in. Terrible. I just want to say I just want to say that all of this all of this all of this criticism. You can just put a bubble around anyone who's ever portrayed Obi-Wan. Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor are national treasures. I will not have them slandered on my uh, show. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Uh, thank God, the only time Hayden Christian was any good was when Obi-Wan was, was with them and they were able to, to do some, you know, some, some back and forth there. But anyway, so the acting, so much better. Even uh, Mark Hamill. Got better. Oh my God, was he so much better. It was, it was great. So first off, the movie I thought was, was very good. My son hated it. He had exactly the same thing of where it just kind of it, it threw shade on all the rest of the Star Wars, uh, you know, canon and everything else. And I was like, the only thing that really bothered me, this is a spoiler alert, is what the heck was the deal with Snoke? Why did you kill off, you know, the Emperor-like figure halfway through the second movie? And, and then I started thinking about it, and this is where I think that they're going. If you look at it, there's no masters left in the universe, right? Uh, so the only... Jedi Master disappeared into the Force, 
and the only, only dark Sith Lord is now gone. And so you have these two protagonists, dark and light, that no longer, they're both apprentices. Neither are our masters. So theoretically you go, is this really kind of like what the New Hope is all about, where now you can actually move forward without any of the prejudice of the past, because these guys don't really have these these masters that are, that are teaching them. I think they're going to end up teaching each other, and that's where real balance comes from. So I kind of like the way they took the story in a totally different direction. And the other one was Luke projecting himself all that way. Oh, that was man, awesome. That was, so awesome. That was great. That was what did so he do? Awesome. Oh, he force projected himself across practically the universe to trick the bad guy. To trick the bad guy. So then when he, he gets hit by all these blasters and everything else and all that stuff, I mean, just gets totally obliterated. And at the end, he goes, <laughs> yeah. wipes some, some dust off his shoulder, and you go, all right, now that dude is powerful. And so you realize later on, it's like, no, that dude was a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, that part there was great. Yeah. A little predictable, yes, but, man, there was a lot of action in it, too. So I thought it was a good movie. Slightly confusing with the whole Snoke thing. That was, well, that was my... One thing people are forgetting when they when they say that is that you know you didn't really know who the emperor was in the original trilogy. He was just he was just this big bad guy that just serves to try and corrupt the main the main person. He was with the their MacGuffin. Power. Yeah, and then he gets killed. This is I mean is this is the same thing. The, like people don't remember that because now we do have a backstory for the emperor in the in the prequels, right. which no one seems to like anyway. So I don't know. Do it's, you like the prequels? I no, but I've watched them enough that I've stopped like having. Yeah hatred over like i don't i don't dislike the prequels i really dislike hayden christensen's acting job that was it really ruined it for me i mean good lord is that really the best they could find to play a, a, a young darth vader come on I've, well i've heard pe- i've heard people say that kylo ren is basically what what hayden christensen's should've anakin should have been yeah absolutely he's so much that better kind of con- that kind of con- yes he can actually display anger hayden christian just like he had constipation i mean it was terrible <laughs> I hate sand. Yeah, it it's terrible. coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets <laughs> oh everywhere. Oh my lord! And it gets everywhere. <laughs> like, oh my lord! But anyway, so no, I really like the new movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go out and see it. Uh, We've just given some, away the ending, but well, but it's got some twists and turns to it uh, yeah. that that are kind of kind of cool. I liked that. Uh, sorry, I'll let you go in a second here. But I just, I liked that it it was in the same way that the that the Force Awakens was just a new hope again in this yeah. way. In this way, just like you've got the the uh, happy esta- first happy establishing movie, and then you have the follow up by a different di- you have the follow up by a different director. That's a lot. That's a lot more. That's a lot darker yeah. and has it and takes things in a different direction. That was the Empire Strikes Back, and it's also which means that we'll, which means that the next one when you go back to the ori- you'll go back to the original director, and it won't be it won't be quite as good, but it'll have a bun- it'll have a lot of fan service. Because yep. that's what the last, that's what Return of the Jedi was. Yeah, it was. Aaron, sorry, your, your thoughts on the movie? Oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything that important. Just that I'm, I'm not as big of a Star Wars fan as either of you gentlemen. <laughs> but I did thoroughly enjoy the movie. I don't, I didn't know yeah. the you know, the background context that well, but I, I thought it was a really great movie. Just standalone in and of itself. Have you ever seen the other Star Wars movies? I have seen a few of them. But I mean, I can't, I just, I told, I told you, I need visual stimulants for movies. So David yeah. was telling us about how his wife will watch like a movie Any three movie. times and forget the <laughs> ending. ending. every time. That's me. I'll be watching a Sorry, movie Abby. that I've seen, <laughs> that I've seen a few times. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't, I don't remember what happened. So I'll watch a movie about 20 minutes there and be like, oh wait, I have seen this. So 
I have to re-watch, I need a visual stimulant to, to know if I've watched that movie The question before. is, even after you realize you have seen it, do you remember the ending? <laughs> well, it depends on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a no. <laughs> Not always. Okay. Well then, to make this somewhat about energy, the new generation of workers and ideas coming into their own energy, how do we balance maintaining the successful practices and lessons of the past with daring new ideas in an economic way the way Star Wars did? No, I don't think we're going to have to work that hard. Uh, and we're actually losing a, a lot of our, of our experience and our history uh, over time. But the good part about it is we're also seeing a significant trend to upgrade the, uh, the system. And so while we're losing a lot of our old expertise, the new people coming in, uh, the new linemen, the younger linemen, they're already traveling with a laptop. They already understand the whole wireless. They, they get the whole thing associated with it. And so it's just uh, it's kind of interesting. The retirement of the old grid has kind of happened in conjunction with the retirement of the old grid support personnel at the same time. So it, it creates some problems and some friction around some of the older legacy type systems. But in that case, what happens is they replace them with the newer smart grid systems. And we're seeing that new generation of linemen and, and engineers. If, if you look at uh, who's leading our utilities, uh, the people leading our utilities are, are you know, really quickly moving towards millennials from our own on in sales. And so from our own standpoint, you know, we've had to figure out how to sell to millennials is an entirely different thing. So for instance, we didn't used to have a huge web presence at SNC. And that was a significant mistake because in today's world, the buyers, the people out there that are doing that, and the mid-level buyers, and even some of the higher level buyers, do an incredible amount of online research. And so we've really had to, to go back and relook at our, uh, our digital footprint and the content we have out there. So if you get a chance, go and see SNC.com, otherwise known as SANC.com, <laughs> cndc.com backslash microgrids or sorry backslash solutions backslash microgrids backslash we have, yeah, we have a, a brand new landing page for microgrids that's uh, got a whole lot of new content a new look a new feel um, and hopefully will help people kind of through that buying journey over time because in today's world people don't want to talk to people you know, they'd much rather listen to a podcast they'd much rather uh, text uh, or, or email rather than have a face-to-face -face conversation so we don't get to have that face-to-face -face conversation until really towards the end of the buying journey. And, and that's a problem. So it's kind of forced the industry to relook, going from old grid to smart grid, from you know, retiring support personnel to new people coming into the market. It's forced us to think about how we sell to that newer generation and what that looks like. And so we're, we're seeing a, a, an evolution, not just in the grid, but also in messaging of, of what's important and how you get it there. I mean, just look at the people sitting around this table. I'm the oldest person here. But that never used to be that way. We're all very uncomfortable <laughs> that we're here talking to you in person. I know. I can tell. <laughs> and then I start telling jokes and it gets worse. <laughs> now, this sounds like a Star Wars movie. I mean, you have the utility Jedi Ooh. master personnel retiring. They're yes. walking off, you know, into the forest. And, and you have this new really... hope coming up. Wow, that's and a nice analogy. And technology. I mean, it's, it seems like a perfect parallel. It, we it, should make a movie, really. We, I think there's already one out there. <laughs> I think there's about nine of them. <laughs> this could be like the next sort of story that branches uh, really off. I mean, it really is. You know, and you, you look at some of the technology that you know, we, you know, someone says we, we don't see any of that. Well, I mean, look, 
lasers exist. We use them all the time, right? So, lasers are cool. right. Even if you look at communication, communication now happens at the speed of light uh, through fiber, right? So you know, you have you have that. We're trending towards uh, that advanced. You know, granted, those are small and kind of behind the scenes. People don't usually talk about that kind of thing, but it's there and it's it's continuing to improve and improve and improve. You know, one of the new one of the new things I think you'll be talking about in 15 years. Hopefully, I won't be. Uh, but you're still young enough to be here. Uh, I hope you'll be talking about wireless transmission power, not wireless charging where we're doing near field type charging sort of type stuff, but wireless transmission of power. How will that change the industry when you don't have to have wires anymore? You don't have to have the protections associated with that. You want to talk about a significant change? That'll be a significant change. And I already know that there are people out there with experimental technologies that can achieve wireless transmission of power at high voltage today. Now, is it the safest thing around? No, we've got to work on that. <laughs> but it's it's out there and it's only going to continue to improve because think of how much more, at least you hope, how much more affordable that would be if you didn't have to put it through copper, which is one of the more expensive metals. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's technology out there still coming, which could serve to further trans, transform our, Transformer, transform our industry even more. But what's the impact of a hurricane if it doesn't tear down your, your power lines because you're transmitting it all wirelessly? Uh, so that, again, changes the landscape a bunch of different ways. Won't anyone think of the hurricanes? Won't what's anyone that? think of the hurricanes? Because you're... <laughs> you're... <laughs> yeah, it, it, took him, it took him a second to get there. Because no, he's like, because he was making it sound like the hurricanes are going to be out of work. Yeah. No. No, they're, they're still going to have you know, a lot what of damage. What are they going to destroy? I mean, that's their job. Yeah, but there's, there is technology coming out there that's going to continue to, to affect things. And people are going to have to continue to, to adapt. Uh, and, and they'll probably eliminate some of these issues that are huge issues today. And then they'll create new issues which we can't even anticipate. So here's your Star Wars tie. We did it. We, we, we forced our way through it. Forced, forced our yeah. way through it. That was there good. Go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I guess in Christine's analogy, that would make Aaron the, the little kid with the broom at the end. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> about yeah. that. Who would you be? Uh, you know, I did love that line. <laughs> Remember that line he said? Everything you everything you said in that sentence is wrong? Yeah. Right? You know, Every single, amazing. Every single thing in that, in that sentence was wrong. Right. It says it twice. Yeah. It does, but it's great. And then I always thought that the second time he says it, that little kid is the embodiment of that uh, of that sentence because he says, "This is not the end. This is just the beginning." And there he is with the little pin, right? And, and you know, there's your new revolution. Wow! You need to get you a broom. <laughs> Christine, stop trying to make me do house chores. I was now. just saying, I wasn't aware that she was so into that. <laughs> I was say that would make you the big that would make you the big gray alien that whips them. If that was the case. <laughs> you did this to yourself, Christine. I know. Uh, no. I'll settle for Luke because I'm about to disappear. <laughs> and on that note, I think it, uh, so it seems like a seems like a good enough place to to wrap up before we. Get before we nerd out too much here. All right, so uh, David, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. It's great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you all for, for having me and for the fun discussion. I'd like to thank uh, SNC for sponsoring this particular episode, making it possible here in San Antonio. It's, it's much nicer here than in my house. I agree. I've never been to your house. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd like to thank, uh, I'd also like to thank my co-host, thanks for being here, Christine. Yeah, always a pleasure, Dylan. And Aaron, thanks for being okay. here. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media at Z Prime Research, at ETS Conference, at DY Lockwood, at Aaron Hart underscore Hardick, and at HC Richard. We've got ETS coming up this March. If you want to register, you can go to ETS18.co. That's ETS18.co. Are you going to be at ETS, David? You bet. All right. We'll, we'll have you. a nice contingent there. Yeah. See you there. And for more of our research and articles, you can find us at ETSinsights.com. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>